Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at the new stop-motion Leica film, Missing Link. We're also going to take a gander at Neil Marshall's Hellboy. Uh, we're going to talk about Disney+, Plus, Star Wars Episode Nine. We're going to save that stuff for our Death of Cinema segment in between our two reviews. And before we get to all of that, we need to talk about a couple of very brief news stories. The first thing, <laughs> the inmates are running the asylum on Bond 25. That's not actually the name of the article. I called it that. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has been brought in to liven up the new Bond script for the new James Bond film. What's interesting about this is Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a comedy writer from the BBC and she's been brought in to Bond 25 to dress up the script by Daniel Craig, the star of the film. And this caught my attention earlier this week because the star of the movie is bringing in somebody to rework the script. Which is weird. Typically, stars aren't 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 assigned to be writers. But in 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 light of this, I wanted to see Andy. What do you think of this? Is this even a story worth talking about? What what are we doing here? Well, this film has been plagued with issue after issue. Um, originally, Danny Boyle was supposed to direct. He dropped out. Kerry Fukunaga was supposed to direct. He dropped out. So it, it's it's been rough. They've gone through several writers and rewrites. It keeps getting pushed back and delayed. Uh, and so this is an interesting move to bring in uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I'm not familiar with, but uh, she has a couple of, of hit shows uh, over on the BBC. Uh, it's an interesting move um, from a really troubled production. I'm I'm interested by this not only because of my love for James Bond movies, but also because I, I feel like this is a, a weird turn that I've noticed more and more lately. I noticed it with The Flash, with Ezra Miller coming in and reworking the script and trying to get that off the ground. We've got the star of this film uh, having somebody come in and get involved in writing. I've heard of stories in the past like Edward Norton and Tom Cruise being sticklers for sitting in the editing room when editing happens. This has always been a thing with movies. Have stars always been sticking their foot in it and saying, hey, uh, I get a say in the creative process and that's the way it's going to go down? Am I crazy or, or is this something new? What, what do you think? Uh, I think if you're a big enough star, you can maybe start throwing your weight around start maybe calling some shots. And it, it's Daniel Craig. He's been Bond for you know over 10 years now. So I think he, can, he has a little bit of clout in, the, in that uh, arena. It's true. Uh, he has been Bond for over 25 years. Uh, he's only ever done it for uh, 25 years. Hold on. Is that right? I can't. 10 years. Correct. 10 it's years. Okay. I'm looking at Bond 25 for over 10 years. Uh, after the last one, he said he would rather slash his wrists than play the spy again. But I guess he got offered <laughs> enough money and swung for it. I'm excited either way. It's probably going to be terrible. But uh, keep an eye uh, on off script for more on Bond 25. The next story. Uh, Hollywood hoping for Herculean reversal of fortune. After the worst early slump in six years, that is not just clever alliteration, uh, the box office this summer has been hurting and is not doing so hot. Andy, you found this story. Uh, you got any numbers here? Uh, yeah. From last year, we're down 17%, uh, which is a pretty big drop uh, globally. We haven't had a lot of big hits. Uh, we, we did have Captain Marvel... Glass did decently. Uh, Jordan Peele's Us, of course, was also a success. But we're missing like the the two to three films a month going big that that we've had in the couple previous years, particularly in February. February has now become kind of a surprise month uh, where you can release something and it can go huge. Uh, Deadpool did it. Black Panther did it. But we didn't really have a big February release this month or this year. 
Well, a lot, the optimist in me says it's because people are holding off for the bigger picture, right? The things that are coming down the road. In two weeks, there is Endgame, of course, the new Avengers film. Disney has a bunch of stuff coming out towards the end of the summer. Lion King, Frozen 2, Toy Story 4, Star Wars Episode 9 is coming out this year. Universal's got Secret Life of Pets 2. Everybody's got a movie, right? And, and things are coming down the pipeline. So I guess the question is... Is this truly abnormal for this month, uh, or is it just, hey, we had a few hot Februarys in the past, uh, and now we're not doing so great? I mean, maybe, but I mean, you're, I feel like you're just leaving money on the table if you're not putting out a big release in February and March, and even January. I mean, it's, it's kind of proven that there is no bad season for film, and I, I think for a long time, January and February, and maybe even September... Um, were were windows where people didn't release anything, and but now you know with things like it and things like like I said Black Panther, it shows if you have a great movie and you hype it and you anticipate it, it almost doesn't matter. So again, people are just leaving money on the table. I think you're totally right. It's exactly that leaving money on the table. That's the reason this month will fill out in the future. Look at something like Jordan Peele's Us, a horror film coming out in early summer. It's weird. But it happens because people realize there's a hole that needs to be filled and we can make money where nobody else is. Uh, so ultimately, I don't think this is any kind of giant trend for the industry or something. Uh, but, you know, it's always interesting to see where the uh, the Hollywood bean counters are looking at their losses and thinking, hey, here's where we need to capitalize. I guess we can look forward to uh, more movies in this season in the years to come. Right. There also have been just kind of a number of disappointing uh, things. Uh, Alita Battle Angel didn't do near as well. Um, We're going to talk about Hellboy here in a second. But there's been some things that were anticipated that just haven't really found an audience. Mm. Dumbo. Dumbo, (laughs) yeah. Dumbo has not found an audience. We didn't watch that on this show. And I asked you about that yesterday. And you were like, that movie looks stupid. (laughs) Which is fine. It does. It It does. It's so bad. It does look bad. It's, It's fine. Uh, speaking of bad movies, we should dig into our reviews, not for that to sound uh, like a precedent for our first film. Andy, you've agreed to take the summary on this one. Please take it away. Missing Link. Meet Mr. Link. <laughs> you know, like, Missing Link. Ah! Wait, I don't get it. So this is the latest stop-motion uh, animated film by Laika. Uh, who's done uh, great stop-motion films in the past, including Kubo and the Two Strings, that was her most recent one, as well as Paranorman and Coraline and Box Trolls. Uh, They have a reputation for making really good stop-motion films aimed at younger audiences that adults can enjoy that are are really good. They have a really good reputation. They also have a reputation for not doing great at the box office, unfortunately. Um... Anyways, the story is with Missing Link, who is directed by Chris Butler. Um, it stars Hugh Jackman as Sir Lionel Frost, who's a Victorian-era explorer and who craves the attention or the acceptance of his kind of explorer's club, uh, who's a, a bunch of older gentlemen who think he's silly, he th- thinks he chases monsters that don't exist, don't respect him. So he sets off in a quest to North America to find the legendary Sasquatch and bring back uh, proof of this monster. Um, and we get there, th- this happens very early in the film, we find uh, the Sasquatch, uh, played by Zach Galifianakis, and we find out that he's rather lonely and thinks that he might have family in the over in the Himalayas, uh, the Yetis, and so Hugh Jackman's character uh, agrees to take him across the world to find his family in the Himalayas, and that's the setup for the story. Zach, what do you think? 
Man, I'm a big stop motion fan, and that's probably the best place to start this conversation because I find if you like stop motion a lot, uh, you're probably really going to like a like a movie. Uh, but if you're not super into it, you might not be really into their films. So as far as me being a stop motion fan is concerned, uh, I thought this movie was really cool. I have a lot of good things to say about it. I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was really into it. What did you think of uh, Missing Link? I thought it was really good as well. It it's funny. There's good characters. The stop motion animation just looks incredible. It it I forgot that it was stop motion a lot of the time because it just looks so smooth and so seamless that it looked like a like a regular CGI movie. And I know that they've done a lot with like the backgrounds and things like that, but they're still you know moving little people around uh, by hand, and it takes years to uh, to film a lot of this. Um, it definitely plays a little bit younger than. Uh, some of their other films, and it's not quite as dark. Uh, so it's a little bit more on the kid-friendly side, but it's still very much enjoyable uh, for adults. So what did you think of, let's start with the overall plot. Let's leave the let's leave the stop-motion stuff for the end, because I think we just covered it a little bit. But let's just talk about the plot. Like you said, it plays a little bit young, right? You've got this classic uh, fish-out-of-water scenario. You've got this character who doesn't understand culture or modern society, and it has to kind of bumble his way through things. And these two characters, Lionel Frost and... I forget the f- woman's name. Uh, uh, she's Ad- kind of Adelina. 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 Uh, yeah, they're there to kind of facilitate and get him through things. What did you think of that? Did it feel like a vibrant world? Uh, was the story okay? Was the writing lame? What do you think? Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. It, like I said, it definitely plays a little bit younger. It's a little predictable. Like you've seen a lot of this before. You know where it's going to go. Um, but that's not. That's not a bad thing. For something that's aimed at kids, I'm always looking for for ways to train young cinema go- goers or the uh, kind of immature <laughs> cinema <laughs> goer. So this, is that, I, is that sorry? Is that immature auteur <laughs> that you were going for there? No, that was just a very pretentious way of Im- saying immature. Im- immature. Gotcha. Um, but one of the things I was thinking of, you know, this is a, a excellent example for. Uh, young cinema goers to kind of learn about story, about plot, about character. That's not just dumb slapstick, Three Stooges level humor. You know, before Missing Link, I had uh, a trailer for the Angry Birds 2 movie. And it was just, it looked so dumb. And it was a lot of that slapstick humor, people, guys running into walls. And it was just really dumb and, and lame. And, by contrast, Missing Link has a full-fledged story, characters that develop and change throughout the course of the movie. Like, you know, there's some messages in there, and it, that's what I like, that this is how we, you know, kind of train younger viewers for more bold cinema. I've gone out of my way in this sh- in this show, at least the past few weeks, to try not to watch trailers for things we're going to watch on the, on the show, because I know I'm going to watch them anyway, and I feel like that's the best experience to go in with, right? Go in fresh, and I did that specifically with Missing Link. I, ca- I saw a couple Hellboy trailers, I tried to avoid them where I could, but Missing Link, I was like, I don't want to watch a trailer, if there was a YouTube ad for it, I, I turned away, like, I earmuffs. Didn't want to do it. I wanted to go in fresh as possible. And I think that really helps the experience of the film because I wasn't sure where it was going. I knew I knew a character was going to stumble onto another character who was this kind of Bigfoot kind of person, but that's it. I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know what they were, how they were supposed to get there, what they were really supposed to accomplish, any of the sidekicks, uh, uh, antagonists. I didn't know any of that. So going in, 
it was a really fresh experience, and I didn't really know where it was going. And I think for kids, it's probably a similar way, right? They're not going to remember the trailers. They're not going to know. So for that, I enjoyed the spontaneity of it. But I also did feel like I'd seen this story before. Specifically in DreamWorks' uh, The Road to El Dorado, there were a lot of parallels, including similar gags. And I love that movie, to be fair. Uh-huh. Um but I just, you know, you start to notice little things. That you're like, okay, I've kind of seen this before. And, okay, we've got this trio of three, uh, two guys and a gal that are going to a place. And, and that was okay. Um, I, I did want to talk about kind of the feeling of it without getting too far into, wow, it's all stop motion animated by hand. But uh, the colors, the textures, uh, the look of everything is so gorgeous. Like, the lighting is incredible. And in this movie, like Kubo, they really went to a lot of trouble to give everything pattern, right? Uh, Lionel Frost wears this houndstooth blue and yellow suit that just really pops on screen. Wallpaper will have these, like, purple floral patterns. And, like, everything just looks really yeah. engaging and warm on screen. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah, it's incredibly detailed, like the worlds and the costumes and the landscapes. And, and again, that's another really impressive de- detail of Leica's, uh, what they do. I did want to mention uh, the music was somewhere I felt this movie was weak. I know that's not exactly in a, li- in a stop motion film. You're like, what the music? But if I have to nitpick and point out things I didn't like, uh, the music was super forgettable. I, every every time it would play the score, I was just like, "What? Is, what is this? this? Is generic track number seven? Like it doesn't sound like anything. There's no personality to it, and that that comes off odd in a film that looks so bold." Yeah, especially coming off something like Kubo and the Two Strings, which has an excellent score and music is actually a huge part of that film, uh, about the plot of that that film as well. So yeah, definitely was a bit disappointed not to have a better score. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention in that uh, there's a surprising amount of violence in this movie and that's just uh, kind of maybe a, a warning for parents. There's like you know, a lot of shooting, there's a lot of guns and people pointing guns at people that I was just kind of surprised to see in, in a kid's movie. Um, obviously like any other red-blooded American, I, I love my film violence, but it, it definitely kind of seemed a little out of place. Um, but that that's... Uh, that's a decision, you know, parents will have to make for themselves. But at the same time, I did think, you know, this it's a good introduction to action in cinema because, you know, nothing's gory or bloody and, you know, no one actually gets shot. That's, you know, that sort of thing. I'm going to come out in defense of this violence because it is there. You're right. <laughs> and I wanted to mention that there's definitely a couple of like horror inspired shots in here. There's a great uh, kind of turn where the, where the antagonist shows up and there's a bolt of lightning that strikes. It's super like creepy and scary. I think that's good for kids. It reminds me of when we were younger and we saw movies like Return to Oz or uh, 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 The NeverEnding Story when scary things would happen and it was like, oh God, this is really creepy. But like, ultimately, it's a good way to introduce young audiences to horror and get them into things that are a little scary and say, hey, you don't have to be so worried about the monster under the bed. At least that's my long-term approach to it. To be fair, <laughs> it is in this movie. So yeah, if you're taking your kid and you're thinking, oh, it'll be fine. They're like three. Maybe not. It might be a little much, but overall, the characters are super redeeming and heartwarming, and like they get they get through it okay, and and with a couple of you know poop and fart jokes, and like it all works out. You know, it's great. Um, I want to talk about the characters and specifically the voice acting because there's some really good work in this. Uh, uh-huh, held sure. down held down by Hugh Jackman in the lead role of Sir Lionel Frost. You've also got Zach Galifianakis as Mister Link, uh, Zoe Saldana as Adelina Fortnite. Timothy Oliphant is a bad guy in this. Stephen Fry is in it. What did you think? I was really impressed by him. 
Yeah, I, I really liked it. Uh, of course, uh, Hugh Jackman, always good, does a good job of playing like this uptight, kind of pretentious explorer, which I I, re- I heard on an inter- interview with uh, Chris Butler, the director, that you know that's that was what they were going for. They're kind of poking fun at this Victorian era high class explorers um, that were you know a, totally a thing back in the day. Zach Galifianakis is really good as uh, the titular uh, Miss, Mr. Link. Um, the Sasquatch character, and he does a good job of a lot of these um, fish out of water kind of, he doesn't understand a number of just uh, linguistic expressions, and he's always uh, kind of, he's confused just because the the language, or the meaning behind the language is a lot of times uh, escapes him. Uh, So it's really solid, and then I didn't even realize that was uh, Zoe Saldana, because uh, she put on kind of a extra thick accent i think mm-hmm. uh for, the, yeah, yeah. for this so i didn't really uh recognize her emma thompson uh she played uh, a character called the elder that we meet towards oh, the yeah. end of the film i i thought it was maybe uh tilda swinton or kate blanchett i, I it thought was it was tilda swinton too <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean it, it's fine it's very good uh, voice acting they always get get solid actors um matthew mcconaughey was in uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, and I remember him doing a great job in that. And Scarlett Johansson, I think. I did want to mention some of the uh, finer points of the writing. The way these characters are fleshed out is really engaging. They're really complex, I should say. Lionel Frost is a very self-centered person, and he has to overcome that over the course of the film, and he struggles with it. It's not just like there's a scene, and it turns around, and he's like, I'm not narcissistic anymore. Like, no, throughout <laughs> the whole movie, it is a problem for him up, up until the end when there's a turn. Uh, Link, of course, is trying to learn and get involved in the world, and there's an interesting point where he's he's uh, kind of I mean he's an outcast of course but he, he struggles to find his place in the world and like even in the places he thinks he is most welcome he ter- finds out he isn't and like that's really interesting Zoe Saldana's character Adelina is is struggling uh, following the death of her late husband which is a thing like these characters all have very real problems and that makes them feel just a little bit deeper than I feel like a normal children's film would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like all the characters, and it goes in different directions. Um, and there's definitely some kind of progressive messages uh, in the film as well, and not too heavy-handed or anything like that. But it was, it's nice that that's in there, and definitely things that that only adults will get. Uh, lastly, for me at least, I'm not sure if you have any other fine points you want to talk about, and we should if you do. Uh, the animation, just the stop motion stuff. I say this every stop motion movie we watch on this show, and, and I always feel like I mean it. This might be the best stop motion I've ever seen. <laughs> you're right. Like it, it points. I'm like, this looks like CGI. Like you're start. Like you're starting to blur the line because it's so perfect. You've got 3D printed faces on these things, and like everything's worked out by a computer. And ultimately, like it's so close. In some scenes, you can't tell, which is crazy. Yeah, and and it's just so detailed. I mean, people's facial expressions will just barely move while they're listening to a character talk you know it's just the the extreme attention to details really impressive and it just keeps getting better and better at the same time I, you know i i like the stop motion look i don't want it to turn into kind of see as smooth as cgi it, it gives some texture to it i i agree and and that's something that this movie in certain scenes struggles with but there's always that there's that human touch. We, we need to see that that Lego movie style frame skipping, right? Where like things yeah. move just a little out of out of sync because because to air is human and like in a stop motion film, 
that's kind of the whole gag, you know, that you see that stuff. You see those wrinkles uh, in the fabric. You, you see those little those little mess-ups that aren't perfect. And, and the closer we get to a perfect stop-motion film, I wonder if they'll have to walk that back a little. Because because there are scenes in this that are so beautiful, and there are others that like I, I mean you you can you can't tell it's it's stop motion, and like that may not be a great thing. And and for kids, that's great, but ultimately, if they don't know how much work went into it, like what's going to make them remember the movie? You know, uh, I think that's a big part of it. That's a big part of the experience, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, uh, any other points before final recommendations? I think I'm ready. Would you recommend Missing Link? Absolutely. It's another hit by Leica. Good for the kids, good for the adults. Impressive. It's not too long. It's only 90 minutes. So, you know, again, it's it's a good introduction to kind of more mature cinema for young people. Uh, I agree. Uh, two thumbs way up. Uh, if you have ever even seen a stop motion film, I think you will enjoy Missing Link. It is criminally undermarketed. Uh, it's it's not doing great at the box office, uh, but but just like every Leica film, it doesn't. I'm just glad it exists, and, and I, I hope there are more. Um, and those are our thoughts on Missing Link. One quick fun fact, Andy, before we move on to our next segment. Uh, I was reading a Reddit thread the other day, and I noticed that somebody pointed out how does Leica keep making movies? How do all of their movies underperform and they're still making things? What's the What's the secret? And I did a little digging, and I found out, if you don't know... Uh, I don't. Leica is able to stand tall because, uh, despite their marketing budget and the fact that they never market their films really at all, uh, Leica's president and CEO is a man named Travis Knight. His father, Phil Knight, is the owner of Nike. So they'll keep making movies, like, forever, because for him it's a passion project, and he just likes making stop-motion movies. So, yeah. Great. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that sounds really great. Yeah. Um, it all works out. All right. We should move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, you want to you wanna do the intro on this or should I? How are you, you feeling? It's time for the death of cinema. Okay. So this week we're going to be doing kind of a two for here. We're going to be talking about Disney Plus, which uh, is Disney streaming service. And they formally announced last week it will launch November 12th for the low, low price of six ninety nine a month. Um, this is huge news. We've been anticipating uh, Disney Plus for a while now. We knew it's going to be a big contender that they're putting a billion dollars behind it to compete directly against Netflix. And now we have some solid details. Um, it's coming in way cheaper. Not, I mean, not way when we're talking about you know prices this low, but it's still significantly cheaper than Netflix. Um, Netflix is about eleven to twelve dollars now, so a little bit there. And then, and it's a smart move because they know if they're coming in as a competitor, they have to compete uh, with price, and so they've come in way below um, November twelfth, uh, so this fall, and we're going to be getting. Um, a lot of their whole library will be available, and with most of the title, like all the Marvel titles, are all the Star Wars films will be available within the first year. Um, they also have a number of Marvel shows that are starring characters from the MCU. Um, that'll be, you know, series. A lot going on, and it's a uh, yeah, it, it's a lot. What do you think of this? Man, I, I, I think we should let people know, for the good folks playing at home, that if we sound a little... Um I don't know. Not super hyped about this. You're wrong. And, and we'll talk about why in a second. But we have been talking about Disney Plus as an idea for months. 
on this show. Like, it has been a conversation when you talk about streaming films. What is Disney doing? What is Apple doing? All of these companies are, are getting ready to make these streaming services and, and to compete with Netflix and get in the ring with Hulu, or in Disney's case, to own Hulu, and to see what exactly they can do in with the medium. And Disney is officially taking a swing at it. They take their stand and they say $69 a year, nearly half of the cost of our main competitor, Netflix, to be a part of our paid ad-free subscription service. They put out screenshots. They say, hey, here's where we're going to have it. It'll be out in a few months. See you there. Man, oh man, am I excited about Disney Plus. <laughs> and I didn't think I would be. Andy, what do you think? Are you into it? Where are you? You know, initially I was a little skeptical, but the more that they've really poured into these, uh, you know, these MCU shows, and there's going to be a couple of uh, Star Wars live action shows that they're doing, and they're going to spend... Uh, Game of Thrones level money, which is uh, you know ten to fifteen million per episode. Uh, they're really serious about bringing really high quality television, um, and at that low low price, it's it's going to be hard to ignore. And I'm I mean as a big Star Wars fan, as frustrated as I am with the series at this point, um, I could definitely get into some t you know some really high quality TV. And as a nostalgia fiend, uh, I'm not even thinking about what's going to come in the in what we believe is the golden age of television right now. But looking back, it's it's insane to me that there will be tabs on here for click Pixar. Here's all the Pixar films. Click Marvel. Here's all the Marvel movies. Disney. Here's a bunch of Disney animated films, and of course, live action. There's going to be shorts they support, but. Disney's always done such a great job of putting themselves on a mantle, locking movies away in the Disney vault, and always charging $25 or more for Pixar films. Like, always keeping their stuff at a premium price and a premium bracket. And suddenly, they're coming in under budget almost everybody else. It's crazy, and and I'm really excited about it. And, and I don't know what service I'm going to dump to get this one, because I can only maintain so many of these freaking things, but... Uh, I, I'm into it and, and <laughs> yeah, something's ahead. on the chopping block. Something's gotta be. Yeah. Uh, National Geographic is in here. They mentioned the Simpsons when they talked about this, apparently they have the full rights and library to that since they acquired 21st century Fox. So arguably they're going to put every episode of the Simpsons on Disney plus, which is not something I would ever think I'd say in the same sentence. Uh, I'm man, I'm all about it. And, and I don't know. I guess the next question is, what does this mean for companies like Netflix? What does this mean for Hulu, which is also owned by Disney? A any thoughts? I mean, it means Netflix is going to have to kind of step up their game a little bit if they're not going to lose viewers. Um, and I think that means putting out better content. And they have, I mean, they, they won several Oscars this year, but they also are known for churning out you know, quantity over quality. So they definitely have to kind of change that or they got to come up with something. And the other thing is that they're losing, uh, or they're losing any rights to any Marvel stuff that they had other than the TV shows that they helped develop. But, uh, you know, no one's giving Netflix's their licenses anymore. So they're going to have to come up with original things. And I, th I think that might be really challenging. To be honest, I am a little concerned about what this means for the larger universes they maintain. Like, you think of Marvel films, right? At the end of every Marvel film, there's like three freaking post credit scenes, and one of them teases what's coming next. And there's always something to that, right? They always want you to go see what came before to get ready for what's next, to really get invested and watch as much as possible. What does that mean in the case of extended universe shows am i gonna have to watch the mandalorian to know what happens in the next star wars movie like is that gonna be a requirement probably not but maybe a little 
I'm not sure. And I, Disney, I really hope we don't go down that road. I I do too. Yeah, and Disney. We I mean, you know it's important. On the one hand, Disney has a reputation for quality, of course. On the other hand, they bungled a few Star Wars movies, so I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, but for Netflix, I guess I would be. I mean, they gotta be a little concerned, right? Like they gotta look at this and be like, "Oh no! Like this is not, you know, that's not great for them. Things were better yesterday than they were before, you know, before they announced this than they are now." But I think they'll be okay. Netflix is Netflix, and if anything, competition drives, uh, you know, quality. So yeah, hopefully, Netflix steps up their game. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's worth noting that Apple TV Plus will also come out at the end of the year as well. So another challenger has entered the ring. We'll see what that's all about. What that how that fares. We do not have any details on a lot of the content or how much it's going to cost or any of those details. Hopefully, we'll probably get those within the next uh, coming months. Right. Uh, I would be. Man, I I don't know what Apple can do to beat Disney Plus here. I really don't. Same, you know. I think I think of companies like like CBS has has their premium streaming service, right? Showtime like, and Stars who, who have their that? service. Yeah, who, who is getting who's buying that? the the CBS streaming? Like, no. I yeah, Twilight Zone fans, and that's about it. Uh, anything else you want to talk about in this exciting Death of Cinema segment? Well, we are going to talk about a little trailer that came out. Um. Of a new of the new Star Wars film, which will be called The Rise of Skywalker. Um, so this trailer came out last Friday, um, and I was in a at, at a busy coffee shop, so it was hard for me to actually. I had to put in my headphones, couldn't get the full experience. Um, <laughs> there, there's some cool looking stuff. It starts off with this, uh, you know, Ray is in the desert and she's like focusing, and this this Tie Fighter comes in, which is gen- probably Kylo Ren's, and she does this cool backflip thing. It looks really awesome. Uh, but it, then it's like just a lot of what we've already seen. We get some Billy, we get Lando, we see some Billy D. Williams. We're back on a, um, what is it, a sand planet. We see a glimpse of the Death Star destruction, I guess. And then at the very end, we get a very familiar laugh, which is indeed Emperor Palpatine. And I am still trying to keep my eyes from rolling out of my head <laughs> after seeing this. <laughs> it's it's so weird because because there were there was a lot of cool stuff but then a lot of stuff that was really disappointing. So what did you think of that trailer? I thought it was great. I can't wait to see the movie. Uh, no, I thought it was okay. It's it's real hard not to immediately scroll down after watching a trailer like that and look at the comments and see what other people think and just engage in that quality internet group think. And I did, and I shouldn't have, but like. A lot of people, a lot, a lot of haters on the internet make some good points. You know, why, why is Kylo Ren flying at Rey in a ship that can just engage her from the freaking atmosphere? Why isn't he trying to shoot at her? Like, why, why not shoot some missiles? A Jedi can't bounce those back, right? Like, or, or he can try to run her over with a ship that would crash if it landed, uh, if it was three feet lower, if it touched the ground. Like, there's, there's just a lot of like unknowns in there, and I guess that's kind of the fun of it, right, of Star Wars. But it is weird to see them saying, "Hey." Uh, check out the end of the saga, and it's like, man, I feel like that the, this new trilogy only just got off the ground, and now it's ending. Like, you know, we yeah, and maybe that's indicative of like, it is time for this whole thing to end. You know, let's put the Skywalkers behind us and move on to something new. What do you think? Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to most. You know, th- there are 
you know, a series with Ryan Johnson and uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff of Game of Thrones fame. They're working on two separate series, uh, film series, uh, that will come out in the 2020s. That's what I'm really excited for, something new, something different, because all I see in this is what we've already seen and what Ryan Johnson attempted to make way for new things. Like we see Ray with Luke's lightsaber again. And it's like, he destroyed that. Why does she, why is it brought back again? This was an excellent time. Like you could have given her like the double bladed lightsaber that people thought she was going to eventually have, or get, give her a different color. You know, she could have the green one like Luke did, or just give me something different. We see Kylo Ren's helmet being put back together. And it just seems like, a knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, well, people kind of didn't like The Last Jedi. Let's undo everything that we did. And it's just such terrible storytelling. Well, I think it's uh, certainly a knee-jerk reaction from Disney. I think that's absolutely true, uh, especially bringing back J.J. Abrams. But yeah, for the people who don't keep up with this stuff, for the people who aren't watching who's the hot new director of the new Star Wars film, you're exactly right. What they see is old imagery that they know and love back again. That Kylo Ren helmet that we broke, it's back. That, that, that lightsaber that you don't see in there, it's back. Like, it's... I mean, I guess that's cool, but at the same time, like, doesn't that... It's that not leave you feeling a little unfulfilled. All. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, like th- that was the whole excitement behind the Force Awaken is seeing a new generation and a new story, and all they're doing is falling back on the old lore and the old canon, the old characters, and now like every- apparently everyone can just be brought back. And it, like, I, I sent you. Uh, I don't know if you watched it, but there was a good Red Letter Media kind of joke on. Well, <laughs> no one's ever really gone, and it just shows all these people dying in in Star Wars, <laughs> and then oh, don't worry, they're never really gone. <laughs> did you Great. actually watch because i watched all five minutes of that I, I watched the entire i thing. watched that whole thing yeah okay no one's ever really gone yeah go check that out on youtube if you can i mean i'm excited i i'm i'm, I'm i think uh, this is gonna sound horrible the thing i'm most excited for might be that hot break supposedly bob Iger was talking about at the disney plus thing when he said uh we're gonna take a break from star wars for a couple years after nine and you won't see any movies in theaters you, you know you'll get the you get the disney plus stuff if you want it but we're not going to put it in your face. We're not going to be like, go see the hot new Star Wars movie. Like, nope, take a break. And I think that's real smart. What do you think of that? No, I, I think it definitely is too. And, you know, I, I'm just disappointed that this new trilogy has relied so much on the previous films and that they didn't go in new directions. You know, I'm, I've, I'm, rem- I'm reminded of things like Blade Runner 2049, which was a sequel that moved the story forward. We had new characters. We had new situations. Uh, it, it widened the world and it was just such an incredible sequel. And I don't know why they have such a hard time doing that. And it, again, part of the problem is that star Wars has become such a hot merchandising property that, you know, everything has to be about selling a toy in the, in a movie, you know, oh, we got to put this cute robot in it. So that's why the Ewoks were put in. So they could sell more toys to kids. And when your focus is commercial, you're not going to make a great movie. Right. Think about how many collectible cups and popcorn tins we're going to sell uh, to people headed into the theater. That's valid. And and Star Wars suffers from a lot of those problems. Uh, I, I hope a little bit of a break will be encouraging. I hope it'll it'll spring a lot of creativity. You know, I think of I think of uh, Toy, Toy Story two. I don't know if you're familiar. You know, I'm sure you've seen yeah. Toy Story two. But Toy Story two back in the day was originally supposed to be a direct to DVD. Disney sequel. There's like Bambi 2 or Mulan 2 or Beauty and the Beast 2 or any of those other ones. And Pixar did such a good job, Disney was like, no, no, we need to put this in a theater. This is a full-length film. I'd love for something like that to happen with Disney Plus's content. I would love for for David Benioff or, or 
Rian Johnson or somebody to make something that's so good, they go, okay, you know what? We're, we're getting behind this. This is something good. This is something new. And, and pushing Skywalker back and saying, go sit down, old man, you're done, yeah. is a great way to set the stage for that. It's it's nothing but good things for Star Wars. You just have to get through one more uh, cheesy schlock of a new film. Yeah, it, again, it reminds me of, of Solo where there was just so much uh, ham-fisted nostalgia bait items and lines and things put in there so just so you can go hey guys remember this from the original trilogy and and again i've said this so many times i i love the original star wars because there was no there was no audience there was no fanboys there was no one to try and impress no one to try to set their expectations some george luke was was building a world and a story that he found compelling and intriguing and wanted to bring that to people and didn't have anything to do with merchandising or fanboys or any of that. And that's what I would love for them to get back to. Well, uh, speaking of fanboys and, and fandom, we should move on to our next film, but to just to kind of put a, I don't know, put a, what am I looking for? Put a, put a stop on this, put a cap on this, put a yeah. something just, just to kind of re- put a bow on this. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, keep it here on off script for more star Wars and Disney plus news. Disney is like 90% of cinema nowadays. So you'll hear it. Uh, just keep an eye out and, and hit that subscribe button. And we'll tell you all about it next week. <laughs> well, we're off next week. We'll tell you all about Endgame, which is another Disney film. It's fine. Uh, we should talk about our next film. I'll be taking, uh, the intro on this, please excuse my clumsy, uh, clumsy delivery. I think I've got good reason, and we'll talk about why the movie is uh, Hellboy. So, Hellboy is, of course, a uh, different take on on the Dark Horse Comics hero, uh, originally written by Mike Mignola. Hellboy is a uh, a demon of sorts. Uh, he has come from hell uh, to to settle the fight between uh, the supernatural and the human, right? Demons and people and, and, and angels and, and how all that sorts out. In the world of Hellboy, all of that is real and these things walk amongst us. Uh, they are hidden, but Hellboy is not. You can see him and he's part of a uh, law enforcement organization that is meant to stop these things and, and keep humanity safe. Uh, he, comes, he comes from uh, hell as a young boy, I guess, uh, and, and is is brought up by his father, played brilliantly by uh, that was sarcasm, by the way, played brilliantly by Ian McShane, uh, to to be a force for good instead of a force for evil. And upon uh, getting old enough, he he ends up in this film battling a, a ancient sor- sorceress, uh, uh, Lady Nimue, played by Mila Jovovich, and he has to decide whether or not he is truly a weapon for good or to fulfill his destiny in being a weapon for evil. Uh, it is a... I don't want to say a remake of the Guillermo del Toro film. It's really just a different look at the character. Um, this one's played by David Harbour instead of Ron Perlman. Lots to say about this movie. It is two hours long. Andy, uh, what did you think of Hellboy? So this movie has had some really bad reviews. It was around 10%, 12% 
fresh on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It got an F cinema score on uh, Collider. So I went in with pretty low expectations. Um, but no, I actually kind of enjoyed it. It, it, it reminded me of something like uh, Rampage that we saw last year with The Rock. Like, you know, you're signing up for The Rock to fight giant monsters. It's the same, it's a similar thing. You're signing up for this demon guy to, uh, in an action horror fantasy thing, uh, you know, and you get exactly what, what you pay for. It, it is that, that movie. It's heavy on the lore. It's a little hard to follow because of that. There's this big Arthurian thing, uh, legend in the background that also goes by and there's lots of exposition. It's a little hard to follow, but, uh, you know, you get a lot of action scenes, a lot of gore, uh, a lot of good horror elements. Um, and you know, it was entertaining, and, uh, you know, I didn't think it, it deserved the uh, kind of, uh, the. it's been just uh, crucified by the uh, the critics. And, <laughs> I, and I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily uh, deserved that. It definitely has its problems. Um, and inter- interestingly enough, this was supposed to be the third uh, Hellboy film. And I think it actually takes a lot of the elements from what was supposed to be Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's uh, third film. I think, I think like the bones of the story are, are what that is. Um, so there's a, a lot of interesting things about it, man. I kind of enjoyed it too. Like I know it's got a, <laughs> it's got a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Like for all intents and purposes, we should not like this movie. But the fact is, if you go in with low expectations, you just might be surprised. And, and I want to talk about why. And I think the first big reason for that is going to be in its approach to a comic book film. We've seen so many comic book movies at this point. Any comic book movie that comes along and changes the formula in the slightest, I think, is doing a good thing. It is moving the genre forward, like it or not, good or bad. And while the story in this two-hour film, which is either too long or too short, uh, does not necessarily uh, do it any justice, and it's a little complicated, and it's lore-heavy, and there's too many characters, and there's too much to keep up with, um, I like the way it does not hold your hand and walk you through, who is Hellboy? How'd he get here? Like... It's in there, but it doesn't. It doesn't start with an origin story. It doesn't start with here's how Hellboy came out of the ground, like just like Guillermo del Toro's did, and and it just kind of drops you into this world where Hellboy is a guy walking around doing things, and you just kind of got to figure it out. It reminded me of picking up a comic off a shelf and just flipping it open and reading it for the first time. Like I don't know who Hellboy is, I don't know who any of these characters are, but they seem confident. They seem to know who they are, and they have identities. And like I can get, I can get on board with this. And if you lean into it that way, if you come in ignorant. You might be surprised at how much you enjoy it. What do you think of that? No, I the the story. I mean, I'm familiar with with the character, and so, so I, again, I didn't need hand holding. Uh, and the story is a little bit all over the place. And apparently, there was a lot of behind the scenes uh, difficulties between David Harbor and and the director. Um, and it does kind of at times it does feel like it's cut together, but I like I just don't care. I'm 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 here to watch Hellboy fight other demons. You know, I'm I'm here to see him shoot stuff and beat stuff up and whatever. And all the prophecy and and lore, like it it's fine. It, it doesn't matter to me that it doesn't really make sense. Um, the, and there's a lot of really creepy imagery in here. There's uh there's this the section where they visit the home of Baba Yaga, which is the uh, uh, kind of folklore house with the uh, chicken's feet that shows up in a lot of uh, kind of myths and legends. Uh, that's a really creepy <laughs> encounter, and it goes on for a long time. Right. Uh, you've got this very odd, disfigured character. I mean, right out of Guillermo del Toro's movies. Like, it looks like something he came up with because, I mean, 
you've, you've got that classic uh, R-rated violence, which we should probably just say up front, completely unnecessary. This is a PG-13 film with just an extra coat of paint, red paint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- does not need to be rated R at all. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I guess they were going for the Deadpool audience. Um, but, you know, they lean into that at, at, at some points. And the Bob Yaga bit, like, okay, I get why this film is rated R now. Like, now I understand. Uh, but you, you do get a kind of charming confidence from in, in all of these scenes from Harbour's Hellboy, who I might prefer to Ron Perlman, which sounds insane, but he's a very, like, misguided character, and obviously he struggles with anger, he struggles with identity, he's very immature, because he's always grown up not having to know any real boundaries, because he's a demon, so why would he? And yeah. ultimately, that helps him lean into the boy part of Hellboy. He's kind of childish. He walks into a room and like does not take anybody seriously. And it's like, I, I appreciate the unabashed confidence at riding on this guy's shoulder throughout the movie as the audience. Like it makes me feel like he is really tough and, and, and he can put up with anything. It makes him feel like a superhero. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I didn't, hadn't really thought about that before. Um, yeah. The childish part, but uh, you're absolutely right. What did you think of some of the, uh, some of the other characters supporting cast? Okay. Well, part of the problem with the supporting cast is an issue of pacing in the story. And I want to get back to that in a minute, but a couple of these characters, you don't even meet till like 45 minutes, an hour into the <laughs> film, which yeah. is weird. Like the whole first, I, I think first hour, I mean that. I was wondering where Daniel Day Kim was. I was like, he's in this movie. The guy from Lost is in this, and like he doesn't show up until about an hour into the film, and then you're supposed to care, which was really weird. So that that kind of hurt it. But as far as their individual performances go, I liked them. Uh, this this new girl that I'm not familiar with. I know you said her name the other uh, day. S- Sasha Lane. Sasha Lane. I liked her. I want to see more of, of what she's going on. I bet she would do great in an ensemble film, like a like a Marvel movie or something. I bet she'd slide in just fine. Uh, and this was clearly like a good opportunity for her to, you know, get in and, and start learning things. I, I, I'm sarcastic about Ian McShane. Uh, he's all right. Who am I kidding? Uh, Mila Jovovich is absolutely horrendous and should never act again. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 that is hard. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, I mean, I again, think- I, I thought Harbor was really good, but I also like Stranger Things, so maybe I'm biased. What do you think? Uh, okay, so I thought that she. It's not that she's bad, but all most of her acting has to do with just del- delivering exposition and, and extended monologues and it's hard to make like this super you know this lore heavy yeah. uh, mythology it's hard to make it convincing when you're having to like you know i am descended from a thousand whatever oh, you know it's just <laughs> well it's, it's got this very bad. it's got this very uh the mummy approach to it right she's she's an ancient sorceress and and yeah. she's defeated way back in the day and she's locked away for a millennia. And like then in this movie, somebody somebody finds her and opens her up and she's like, I have to be restored to my full power. So over the course of the film, Hellboy is trying to stop her and that's happening and she's trying to get back to... It's 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 very much like Emotep from The Mummy. But what was engaging about, about Emotep from The Mummy is one, he was scary. Two, he spoke in a foreign language. And three, I didn't know what, his, what the end game was. I didn't know what he was going for. But in this, it's explained like in the first five minutes. And it's just like, oh, here's her. Here's what she's doing. Here's what's going on. It's like, man, you should have built that up a little bit. Like, put a little bit more mystique behind her character. Shroud her in shadow or something. Give her yeah. give her an accent. And, like, no, she's just lame Mila Jovovich. Uh, uh, her acting is as wooden as Baba Yaga's legs. Uh, <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand her. She's Good the worst Lord. part of this film. She's almost as bad uh, as the CGI. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, she, compl- she, she complained about it on Instagram today. I didn't care. Um, yeah, I, I saw something about how she was fighting back against uh, critics, which reminds me, there, there's a scene, and I'm not going to be ashamed of any kind of spoilers in this because I don't know, I don't think anyone's going to see it, but oh, no. uh, th- there, there's a scene where they're sewing her kind of dismembered body back together, and it just kind of goes on forever, and she's just like screaming while they're sewing her legs back on, and it's just like... It goes on like two minutes too long, and it's just like, all right, we're gonna wrap this up, and she's and she's trying to talk about something and screaming in in between. It, it's really odd. Yeah, and I'm never convinced you're like the character you say you are. I'm just watching. I'm like, it's Mila Jovovich being Mila Jovovich. Like she's not actually. I, I just I never on really got screen. into it. And like for a movie where they have so much makeup and and so much like, devoted to CGI, like I think they would do more for her, but like they really don't. It's really just her. Like in some scenes, her her hair's messed up. Like, but that's <laughs> about in a it. robe. Yeah, exactly. There's there's some mud on her face, but like it's never. It's just weird, you know, in a movie full of demons and skeletons and ghouls and goblins. Like, I would think they would do more with their main villain, but I guess they just didn't, and and that hurt it. Can can we talk about pacing? Is that is that is it too? Yeah, late yeah, for that? yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. Here's what I have to say about pacing: the way the story is told, it's clumsy, but also kind of refreshing, and I'll tell you why because. There's a scene. There's a series of scenes in this movie where Hellboy will fight something, and then it will immediately go to exposition, and then he'll immediately go back to fighting something, and not necessarily like in the same room or anything. Here's an yeah. example. There, there's a, a a set of scenes in this film where Hellboy uh, is is going out on an expedition with a group of hunters, essentially. And, and things don't go great for him, and he ends up getting in this whole fight scene, and he gets knocked out cold. And then he wakes up, and now he has to fight a group of giants, which is crazy. And so he wakes up out of being out cold to immediately fight more bad guys. And then after that, he gets knocked out again. He wakes up. He's with his dad now, and he's, he's with, like, SWAT or whatever, and they talk about this queen and where things are going. Then he gets teleported to Baba Yaga's dimension and has a whole thing with her. And then he gets teleported back to the room with his dad... And they talk more about where things are going and he heads out to the next thing. Like that's, it's, there is no transition. There is no, like he's in a car. It's no, there's no, like he's on a helicopter. Like, no, he just like, it's teleported or like transported somehow immediately for the, for the convenience of the film. And while that is very clumsy, I kind of liked it because it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> yank your chain. It's not like here, string you along with the carrot on the stick. Nope. It's just immediate action, exposition, action just like rampage it reminds me a lot of that and like i kind of appreciated that i guess (laughs) yeah exactly and that's what i mean like if if you look at it as just you know silly uh fantasy horror fun it's pretty enjoyable on that level um i i did want to mention this is clearly a british production it takes everything takes place in england it's a pretty much all british cast Mm -hmm. or a lot of british actors um surprisingly sasha lane is actually from dallas the dallas area hey um but yeah it's clearly like you know the bbc funded this or whoever over there because it is does not take place in the u.s and that may have to do with the story as well because i know it is like based on this arthurian legend arc of of the hellboy comic i guess i'm gonna be honest the funniest part of this film is the two post-credit scenes because both of them set up for some kind of sequel that you know will just never happen, uh, which is really oh, yeah. a treat. Yeah, that 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 was hilarious. I, I thought that as well. I was like, there is no way this is getting a sequel. No, uh, I mean maybe if it pulls some China money, like, but I mean it's hard to say. Supposedly, Alita: Battle Angel is going to get a sequel, which is insane to me because uh, I figured that would never happen. But 
I guess I guess we'll see what happens with Hellboy. Um, ultimately, it was it was dull. It was unimpressive, but like it it had character in a way that like I appreciate, even if it's not that good. I I might I might like it more than the Guillermo del Toro films, which is insane. Right. I might have to go back and watch them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Hellboy? So it's a lot of fun, and I think I would probably wait until. Uh, streaming, but it's definitely something that I would, you know, sit on the couch on a lazy Sunday or Saturday afternoon and just, oh, let me let me see what this version is like. It, it it's it's surprisingly fun, despite all its flaws. Yeah, I, I am in the same boat. I, I feel like a lot of times in this show, I've said, wait till streaming. It doesn't matter. And this one, I'd say, like optimistically. Wait for it to show up on Netflix or something, and then check it out. Like it's not worth going to the theater. It's not worth sitting in for. It is. Like I said, either too long or too short. Either they could have cut 30 minutes or they could have added 30 minutes and it would have been a better film either way. But uh, it, it's it's misguided and it, it, it struggles and, and it's a little childish in its delivery. But then again, like what is Hellboy if not kind of misguided and childish and somehow that's perfect for it. So uh, I, I liked Hellboy. Not worth the price of admission, but check it out when it comes to you, I guess. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, I definitely saw it as early as I could to get the like 650 showing. Smart. Six dollars fifty cents showing. Yeah, I should say uh, now that now that we're just about wrapping up the show, uh, this was the first week I double featured both of our films, uh, one after another. I went and saw Missing Link. There was a twenty-five minute intermission between the two films, then I immediately walked into Hellboy. Twenty-five, including trailers. I timed it out perfect. Uh, so that all worked out, uh, and and I wasn't miserable. And it turns out you can double feature nowadays. Intermissions are important. And uh, that's yeah. what I have to say about that, I guess. And with that, that wraps our show for the week. I think we said at the top of the program, but we will be out next week. We are taking a break to get on that hype train and ride all the way to Avengers Endgame in two weeks. So keep it here for that. I assume we're going to be doing just one. That that will be the cover. That that will be the whole show in two weeks. It will just be one movie, Avengers Endgame. I'm kidding. We'll probably still do two, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see, man. Maybe we'll do a three-hour blowout spectacular. I have no. I, I mean, arguably, we yeah. Talk I, about I have, yeah. I have my tickets. I I, I have a third. <laughs> I have a Thursday night ticket. I'm seeing an opening night, 9 p.m. It's gonna be great. I'm going to see it Monday night. I don't care about. Spo- I kind of care about spoilers, but uh, I I appreciate that the Russo brothers are getting on Twitter like. Uh, don't what don't spoil the end game. That's the hashtag they're passing around. Like, please don't spoil it for the whole world, you know? And, and honestly, maybe this is misplaced of me. Perhaps I haven't been burned enough times. I have faith in the internet. I think I'll get through it. I, I bet it won't be spoiled. I bet little things like how about those 10 post credit scenes or whatever will be spoiled for me. But no. um, that's to be expected. Well, and it, Here's my thing is like, to me, you can't spoil this movie. Like you could tell me everything that happens. You can't spoil the experience because that's what it's, and that's what I've discovered as the the more I watch films. It's like individual plot points aren't what make the film. It's the storytelling as a whole. It's a whole experience from beginning to end. Um, I mean that that said, I don't want to I don't want it spoiled, but I'm not gonna be too upset if it is. Yeah, and that three hour monster of a experience cannot be spoiled for us. So uh, keep it here on off script for more guys. Hit the like guys like I'm a YouTuber. Uh, hit the like and subscribe button for more. Hit that notification bell. I'm kidding. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, uh, podcasts are free, but you can support the show by uh, you know hitting that subscribe button. Leave us a rating and review. Like l- let us know what's going on. We'd appreciate it. Uh, we will come back in a couple weeks for Endgame. I don't. I, we're, we'll still work out if we'll watch anything else. I guess we'll see Endgame and see how we feel. But otherwise, uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Uh, 
to get involved with the show, I should probably mention that uh mail at offscriptfilmreview.com is our email address let us know what you thought if you liked missing link if you thought it was lame if you thought hellboy was really cool or you weren't so into it if you think this disney plus thing is a crack at american capitalism or if you think it's the greatest idea since sliced bread email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com check us out on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram so get involved with the show and we'll be happy to talk to you uh from all of us here at offscript the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper Thanks for listening.